0: Matt Bushman is is one of the bright coaches in the game.
1: During the game, you know what? Just answer the phone. Great.
0: He needs to get thrown out of the game because if you're going to do some stupid shit like that, you need to get thrown out of the game.
2: Welcome to another episode of Digging In with JP and Cvia. I'm your host, as always, Nick Ashborn, and today our guest is Matt Bushman, Blue Jays bullpen coach, a guy who I'm not sure is a household name for everybody, but he's one of the sharpest dudes in, I think, baseball overall, but particularly the Blue Jays organization. Very quickly after his playing career, he was able to move into a front office role with the Giants, and now he's got a coaching role with the Blue Jays. He seems to move quickly, and uh, he's already accomplished a lot at a very young age.
0: Yeah, Matt Bushman is is one of the bright coaches in the game. He's uh, super young. He looks like a player for, I mean, this guy walks down to the bullpen. People may confuse him for the starting pitcher. If, if people don't know who he actually is, cause he's, he's that young. He's still in shape. He still looks like he can play. Um, but he's good. And he has a lot of backgrounds in different parts of the game in the front office and development and all these different things. And also played it and towed the rubber in the big leagues and played in the minor leagues for a while. And so he, he did a lot of things in this game, which I think are valuable. Also, why it's fun to have him as a guest is because he's very articulate and he has, he he, he is very good at explaining things. And I think that's a, one of the biggest things and assets as a coach is you can come up with all these game plans and all this great information. But if I can't communicate at, at just the baseline with players and have them kind of understand what I'm trying to say, then you're kind of, you're useful. So, or useless. And so, he does a good job of that and and that's why I think the the Blue Jays are are in a good spot to have him not only learning under Pete Walker but also, you know, continuing to grow for the future of the organization.
2: Yeah, when you speak to Matt, you really get the sense of how good he is at explaining things because sometimes may even if you don't ask the right question, he will present the right answer. He's someone who He just has a good understanding of taking complex concepts and making them simple and understandable. And as you pointed out, that is one of the best things you can have in a coach. But before we get to Matt, I want to talk about one of the goofier stories in baseball recently. I'm sure you've seen this clip. Keon Broxton got a two-game suspension for throwing his batting gloves away. He was disgusted after a called third strike, but he's walking back to the dugout. He's not looking. He just tosses his gloves away, and one of them hits the umpire in the face. Clearly not hard. He didn't whip the glove. I mean, I go. You know, I guess it traveled a decent distance, so it must have had some velocity on it, but it definitely didn't hurt the umpire. Hit the umpire. He was immediately tossed from the game, and now he's got a suspension. And I just wanted to touch base with you in terms of whether that makes sense to you at all because it certainly doesn't make sense to me and what the guidelines should be for for someone getting tossed from a game because it's feeling like umpires can do things fairly arbitrarily. If they don't like what they see, boom, you're gone. Maybe we need a more specific set of guidelines of what constitutes an offense that you can get tossed for.
0: Yeah, listen, I was kind of... Bothered by this suspension, it's stupid. You can't tell me that somebody, uh, you know, for example, let's say Clint Hurdle. Clint Hurdle got a couple of games and he was having guys throw up and in and with a baseball and almost, you know, hitting guys. And they, that's what Pirates are known for, man, is don't they're going to throw up and in. They just, it is what it is. But first off, if anyone has ever thrown a batting glove and if you flick it or throw it sideways, any kind of way you throw it, really, you have no idea which way this thing is going to go. Like, if we had a target practice with batting gloves, you would you would not be able to really continuously hit the, the target that you're going after because it almost works like a frisbee or whatever. If wind, you know, it can go one way or another. He's not trying to hit the umpire. He obviously was upset, and here's here is the issue is – There's a million other directions, or not maybe a million if you take it 360 degrees. I guess there's only a lot of other options. There are plenty of options. (laughs) Of the vicinity of not to throw it towards. So be upset. Throw it towards second base. Unfortunately, the bat boy is going to have to run out there and pick it up. But throw it towards second base. Don't flip it backwards because you know the umpire is standing back there. Now, do I think... That he deserves. Yes, he gets getting thrown out of the game. He needs to get thrown out of the game because if you're gonna do some stupid shit like that, you need to get thrown really? out of the game. Really? Wh- because what if the
2: what if the gloves had gone like you said? It, it could be target practice. He'd never yes. be able to do it. What if it just it, flown uh, some direction?
0: Yeah, but you have yeah, but you have to send the point. You have you have to send a point that you can't flick it that direction. But the suspension is to me what's ridiculous. Like you you. Because what happens is you throw a guy out for that, everybody watches Sports Center or whatever it may be, highlights, wherever you watch it. And so they see that. Players go, damn, he got thrown out for that. Well, I'm not going to throw it towards everybody. knows knows you can't hit the umpire. I mean, it's just, it just is what it is. Even stupid stuff like if you bump an umpire, a lot of times you're not trying to bump an umpire. But if you do, you know that you're about to get in trouble. If you hit an umpire after a call that you're not happy with, and it hits the umpire. You throw the glove and hits him. You're out of the game, dude. Brett Brett, Lurie threw the helmet down. After a terrible call, he had gotten hosed, and he was rightfully so to be upset. The helmet bounced off the ground and flew back and hit the umpire. Hell no. Dude, Brett Laurie is a guy that's one of my buddies. I grew up, or we came up, you know, in the big leagues. We were both there at the same time. He lived with me. He was not going to throw the helmet at the umpire, but it happened. And so he got thrown out of the game. It just is what it is. So you learn the hard way, you get Get thrown out of the game, whatever. It's stupid. You're out. You apologize, and it's done. Suspending somebody for it is asinine. That's the stupid part to me. See,
2: I feel like I'm going to make a grim analogy here. But I feel like if we're talking about someone getting killed, you can get there's murder, right? The murder is... Brett Laurie cocking back and throwing a helmet at an umpire's face. Like, that's like you tried to do something awful and you did it. And then there's manslaughter where you're trying to do something else. And then the person gets killed. That's if you kill someone in a bar fight or something. And then there's pure accident where you had no intention to kill a guy and you slipped and you were holding a butcher knife and it flew out of your hand and it killed someone across the room. Now, it depends whether you think what's going on is an accident or if it's manslaughter. See, I think Laurie throwing that helmet down towards the ump is manslaughter for me, whereas Broxton tossing the gloves, I don't know if he's even aware. I mean, I guess he's aware of where the umpire is, but I don't know if he's even aware of where the glove's even going. So I think that's a pure accident, and that's why I don't even like oh the him getting tossed Oh, my goodness out.
0: gracious. You're... you're Oh, you'd be a bad lawyer right there <laughs> because if he's if you're throwing a helmet down on the ground, you would never it, by that by that definition and by that argument, you would never expect the damn thing. But to was bounce it not that okay, Was it, it throw, bounced?
2: We need a video of the lawyer. <laughs> so it says no was No, I it know, thrown, I was okay. there.
0: I was there. It was. It was not. It was not thrown. Okay, in the so that's what how I remember. The helmet. The helmet. The helmet was thrown and then it bounced back. Okay, and hit the so umpire. then uh, then I'll and buy it. So, He's not. He's he's not trying. So in that so that in that argument, I love you. But that argument to me is kind of. I, if I was a judge, I would say, no, I, that's a that's a hey, great. Thank you for trying to make that argument. But unfortunately, no, because just don't throw the damn batting gloves in the umpire's direction. And Keon Braxton, Broxton is a good kid. He's not trying to hit the umpire. He wasn't trying, but he did. So unfortunately, because it hits the umpire, he gone. Send him to the showers, but do not suspend them. Do not. Su- that's well, yeah, You can't
2: suspend someone for something that we agree is an accident. I will, I'll rescind the manslaughter charges on Brett Laurie. In my memory, he was throwing it kind of directly forward into the ground to hit the umpire. But I guess you would have a,
0: yeah. You're okay. Wrong. That's
2: fair. I don't know when this happened, like 2011 or something, eight years ago.
0: Uh Yeah, you were like 12 (laughs) years old. It's all right. It's a little different for you. So So if
2: we take that off the table, I think that Brock's is an accident. I don't like that he was thrown out. I can... I can understand it to an extent, but I'm a hundred percent with you on the suspension. The suspension is absolutely stupid. It's like suspending Randy Johnson for blowing up that bird with his fastball. Like yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. animal cruelty. Here's a two-game suspension. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. The guy's throwing no. fastballs out there. Like I'm sure I don't know what Keon Broxton has to say about this or what he said, but I'm sure if you talk to him. It was like it was the farthest thing from his mind, the idea that it could conceivably well, like catch an umpire perfectly. Be suspended. Or, for, or did he be suspended
0: for you him. also But you I mean, that's like if, if hitters then started throwing bats into the stands and it and you know the nets are there, but if it were to hit somebody, it's like, Well, you're out of here. You're like, What? I wasn't trying to throw the damn bat and into that, the and There's money but, on the line, right?
2: On a suspension. In what sense? Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, if you're suspended, that kid ain't getting paid. Yeah, so Broxon's a you're young suspended. guy
2: kind of trying to establish himself at the big league level. This guy's not gotten paid yet, and, you know, I'm not out here saying that guys making the minimum MLB salary aren't doing fine in a general sense. I'm sure I wouldn't mind a cut of the MLB minimal salary, Dan, if you're listening, but uh, – <laughs> you know, he's not a guy with buckets and buckets of money saved up in the bank. So, you know, maybe if this were a different player, if it were Albert Pujols or something, we could laugh about it a little bit more and like, this is goofy. But you really are taking money out of someone's pocket
0: for an absolutely ridiculous reason. Yep, yeah, I I think it's stupid. And, you know, it's just... I don't know. I I I'm just kind of dumbfounded with sometimes some of the decisions and fines and some of the things suspensions that are given out. You think that a guy will do something and gets a huge suspension, and he doesn't get a good suspension, and then somebody that does something that's very you know just minuscule, then he gets a suspension. They they have to figure that out. The CBA is coming up. I'm sure there'll be a lot of talk about that crap because that's another thing that I think baseball, whoever runs it, Tory Joe Tory possibly. He's. I think sometimes he forgets, like he was a player and the shit that they used to do and get away with. So I don't know. All right,
2: we'll leave it there and turn it over to Matt Bushman.
0: All right. So joining us, as promised, and uh, Nick referred to you as sharp earlier. I would say that that is a uh, an accurate assessment. Even though it hates, it pains me to say you're a Vandy guy. I mean, you're you are uh, you've always been sharp, and you know you're one of the. Reasons why I, I believe that this organization is going in the right way, but talk about your first year. One of the coaches, one of the youngest coaches, uh, I would say, in all of baseball. So talk about your first year so far up to date.
1: Uh, well, first of all, I appreciate you saying that. Well, I think the jury's probably still out if I'm sharp, so we'll see. Um, but, yeah, the first year, is uh, it's been awesome. Um, it's been really fun. Uh, I think in some ways because of just the amount of learning I've been able to do, just kind of being around, you know, guys at the highest level and coming from player development last year. Um, it's kind of helped me connect some of the thoughts or some of the things I learned about how, you know, organizations are developing players, you know, to play at the big league level and then not seeing it at this level day to day. It's given me kind of a fuller picture of just, you know, what it takes and what's most important. So, um, but you know, at the end of the day, I- I've had a lot of fun because the staff, uh, is a younger staff with, uh, some really cool, uh, experienced coaches, uh, mixed in. And, uh, I think the luckiest part of, of my gig is just being, being able to be under Pete Walker. Uh, I learn from him pretty much every day. So it's just been, uh, it's been exciting.
0: You talk about development and, uh, you know, you, that's your background. Obviously you were a pitcher you get guys like a Zach Godley, different players like that that come in, Neil Ramirez, and then I'm sure you guys have information that you think that they're more valuable than what the team thought. You know, put aside business, how do you approach getting a guy? Is it the first time he, you guys pick him up, you say, hey, this is what I think can work for you, or are you able to, to kind of see the process and then continue to grow him into what the Blue Jays feel like is the best way to use you know, their their tools?
1: Um, I, that's a really good question. I think that's the, that's the battle, right? It's, it's being able to, you know, look at the information that's available because there's just a ton of it, you know, make, basically make some assumptions based off of it or what you feel like would help. But I think the thing I've learned is, you know, to take a little bit of time just to watch them go through their daily routine. Um, because maybe that answers some questions you have in your mind about, uh, certain things that the, maybe the analytics say, um, so that you kind of match what kind of what you see through the daily routine, how they pitch, how they work with the information, and I think I think the final question is with the time horizon. Um, you know, some things may be a, kind of a longer process to say we think this could help you. Um, you know, and you have to kind of match that with you know <clears throat> how open that player is, and and understanding that a lot of these players, like the guys you mentioned, are, are kind of grasping hard onto, you know, being a major league player and um, having had some success, but now, you know, they're they're switching teams or there's a tentative hold on, you know, playing the big league. So, you know, you're kind of battling all those different things. So um, I think for the most part, it's just getting to know the player first so that when you sit down and present any information, you know, you hope that they're a little bit more open to it instead of just kind of throwing it in their face right when they get here.
2: Matt, this is going to take things kind of right back to basics, and you've touched a little bit on the sort of things you're involved with on a day-to-day, but I don't think the average listener or fan really knows what a bullpen coach does at the ballpark day-to-day. So I was hoping you could take us through a little bit what your routine looks like, what's expected of you, because I think the title bullpen coach could be a little bit deceptive in terms of what it is you do.
1: Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's just – I think – coaching roles are are probably in the middle of uh, kind of all being changed and the expectations in each role with the amount of technology and analytics. So, you know, for me personally, um, I'm, I'm here to just support the players in any way I can. I'm here to support Pete Walker. And, you know, the things that I do know or that I feel comfortable with are some of the technology and analytics. And so, you know, for me, it's immediately trying to find ways to use those things to help our pitchers and, you know, in a supportive role and and bring about maybe some information that wasn't there before. So I would say before the game, a lot of it is just, you know, constantly looking through and go, hey, are there any adjustments that could be made or is there any ways for any of our pitchers to get better? Um, and then on top of that, you know, I think it's just – uh one of the big things is going through the advance work and trying to game plan for the relievers, so uh, giving them an understanding of the hitters and, and then hope, hopefully giving them information on how best to use their stuff against the lineup we're going to face. Uh, I'd say that takes up a lot of a lot of the time, and then during the game, you know what, just answer the phone. Great.
2: <laughs> Easy enough. Uh, yeah. One thing that is interesting about your background, you're very young in your kind of post playing career, and we'll get to your playing career a little bit later. But you've had one year, you've worked in pretty much a front office role. And now you're working in a coaching role. Which side of that coin do you feel more comfortable with? Or do you think is more likely to be your future? Or, and I think you've kind of touched on this a little bit yourself. Do you think that's becoming a distinction without a difference?
1: yeah i mean i i think it is i think having an ability to see kind of the whole map is really helpful in whatever role i guess you you want to say like what side of the coin you want to be or coin you want to be on but you know for me i don't know if there's one thing that sticks out in that sense i think i'm i'm you know my personal Thoughts are. I'm just. I'm trying to get as much experience as I can, and I think there's many aspects to trying to be good. Whether it's a coach on the field, um, whether it's someone that's in the front office, just more knowledge you have of all the different areas that you're going to be around, I think can just be helpful. So I don't know if there's a there's anything that stands out like one side or the other. I think there's amazingly interesting things on both sides, um, just maybe in different arenas and different decisions you're making.
0: As a player, we, you know, enjoy the little cool things that happen throughout our career. But as a coach, I feel like one of the cool things, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, is I'm watching the game and here comes Matt Bushman walking out of the dugout to have a mound visit. Was that like a, how did that feel? Because I know it's 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 dumb and it's subtle, but I'm sure, uh, you know, obviously you respect Pete and you know that, you know, that's his gig, but it, it had to be kind of cool.
1: Yeah, no, it was, it was awesome, you know, and it's, You know uh one of the things that uh, i'm you know very aware of and i'm very fortunate is you know i have had you know i I had a short path here so there isn't a lot of experience on that side of things of you know that walking out of a dugout going to a mound business um you know i I filled in coaching last year but and I, i did a little bit in spring but that one was definitely uh it you know it felt something different it was the first time in a major league game you're your pitching coach and, and you go out for a mountain visit it just so happened it, the bases were loaded so that made it even more fun um but it worked out so i think uh, i was one for one after that visit because we ended up getting out of it but yeah it's definitely one of those things but once you do it you go okay i've gotten that one out of the way now you can relax <laughs>
0: well you, and it's funny because i imagine there was probably a little bit and maybe not that time but at the beginning a little bit of a do i jog do i walk do i walk fast How, i mean does that does that kind of play in your head
1: that was the only thing in my head. Uh, I almost forgot what I was going to say to him, you know, because you, you walk out and you go, we don't wanna, you don't want to look too athletic. You know, you don't want to go full sprint. So You kind of do like the jog, but then it looks weird. And so it's like you don't want to walk either. So it's definitely kind of like a, like a hybrid thing I did. I think I jogged walk uh, a couple different times. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's essentially the only thing that was in my head coming out of dug out, Like, how am I going to get to the mound?
2: One of the developments around the Blue Jays, and it goes around baseball right now, that makes you know, the job, maybe your job, a little bit easier or not easier, maybe more interesting, is the emergence of the opener. And JP and I were having a talk last week on a podcast about the future of openers and whatever you want to call them, bulk guys. From a player development perspective, do you think that guys are going to start to get developed into those roles as opposed to just being put in them? Because it, used to, it feels like it used to be you developed a guy as a starter until that didn't work and then you threw him in the bullpen. I know there are a couple of reliever types who are a bit of an exception, but now do you think you're going to start developing guys with the eye of having them pitching three, four innings in a bulk role or a guy who you really like pitching two innings off the top the way Wilmer Font is doing for the team right now?
1: Right. Um that's a good question. I mean the way I've looked at it so far is that it just creates more opportunities. I still think it's the concept of let's just try to develop starters and because the value is there. Um but now instead of hey you're not a starter, you're either a long guy or you know, you have to have really good stuff to be a back end guy usually. Now there's just more landing spots for those guys that potentially can't go through the third time to the order. Maybe they have good stuff um, or even struggle the second time with the order. But for whatever reason, you know, for three innings are really good. It's just it's creating more landing spots for those guys. And and now all of a sudden, you know, they tend to have value when maybe they didn't before. So what you're going to end up seeing, I'm sure, is I don't think you'll develop guys in that role. It's just that now the guys that, that don't continue to be starters, there's more opportunities for them. And there's more teams now combing, you know, whether it's, minor league organizations going, you know, where's a guy that, hey, you know what, for 9 to 12 hitters he's really good generally. Well, we got a spot for that, right? And we, we have maybe an opportunity for that person to just bring value in that, in that limited frame um, of work that, you know, can bring value and wins to, a, to an organization and a major league baseball team. So I think at least right now that's kind of how I see it.
2: Your background is on this development side. And even though you have an MLB role now, I thought one thing that was interesting recently was Mark Chaparro releasing this kind of list of pitchers, which people took one way or the other. It's like, here's 17 pitchers. We have to make three of these guys into starters. How does that, does that, how does that appeal to you as a puzzle in a guy who's trying to develop pitching? Is that really difficult to imagine for you? Or is that, is that kind of the point of all of this? Well, it
1: is. It's, it's it's interesting when you see it kind of on the granular level and, and you're talking to the players and, and you kind of get a feel for how they view the world. But then having been in development and seeing the, kind of the whole map, so to speak, and going, well, what are you trying to do as an organization and trying to, you know, find the most opportunities to create, you know, starting pitching. And so I think at the end of the day, you want to have some things in place on the development side, which, you know, Kim and. Jeff Ware and David Arzma has done a really good job and, and they're building, I think is they're building something great down to minor league level where you kind of put some standards or principles in place that hopefully more often than not, we get those guys to become those, those three starters that Mark was talking about. So um, I think it is a puzzle piece, but at the end of the day, when you, when you are looking at the top and looking over an entire organization, you know, the view of it there is a little different than maybe from the ground level. So it is a little bit of a puzzle piece and you're just trying to have guys figure stuff out. And then hopefully, you know, they, they present themselves as, yeah, I'm the guy, I'm the guy out of this group that, that made it.
0: I know we touched on it. This is the last one and it's kind of going back. Listen, people, one, don't understand that the work that goes on in coaching in general. I mean, you guys are there from the beginning looking at video game planning. So I, I understand that what the cool part, I think of a bullpen coach, and I want you just to kind of, give an example is when a pitcher gets going and he gets hot and he's got, you know, they call down and they say, Hey, get him ready for three hitters down the line, whoever it may be. And then now your job is to obviously stand behind and be able to give information of scouting reports in in a sense. And so would you, would you run? Because I think people don't understand how cool that's the game within the game, just for whoever it may be. How does that work for you giving that message?
1: Um, I think, I think it just starts at knowing the player, you know, there's going to be some guys where they don't want anything, you know, or, or there's other guys that want to talk through, Hey, these are the next three hitters. This is how you're going to do it. Um, you know, this is your, you know, there's some players I want, Hey, I don't want, I want to know where I can't go, but then there's other players that want to know, Hey, how am I getting this guy out? So that's probably the number one step is just is learning each guy. And I think over time, you know, you, you get a good feel for, when you should say stuff and to who. Um, but really, it's just it's giving guys an awareness. For me, it's more important that they walk in with a first pitch in mind that they feel comfortable with. Because a lot of times they're coming in either in a close game or with guys on base. So it's just getting past that first pitch and getting in the count. Um, and then it's just preparing. Like last night, and um, Mesa went in the game and he was going to face Freeman and then Donaldson and then Joyce was third. It was another lefty, but there might've been a pinch hitter. So I'm preparing him for those next couple hitters, but also saying, Hey, look, if there's a pinch hitter, it could be this guy. Just keep this in mind, but then also getting someone else up and preparing him because he may go in and face the pinch hitter. So, um, that's kind of all that's going down And, and hopefully you've done all your work beforehand. So it just kind of is easy to kind of go through. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, kind of exciting and every once in a while you do feel like that kind of pep talk can help and just say hey you're going to beat him with this pitch and just giving them that confidence uh to go out there and just make pitches
0: well i appreciate it thank you that's that's the cool part i think uh, people don't know about the bullpen coach and how important it is in the big times of the game so thanks for coming on continue it and uh you know continue to kick ass
1: oh thanks guys appreciate it thanks for having me
2: that's the problem when you get a a guy who's really articulate and has a lot to say is that you don't get to all the questions you want to ask. Like I can always talk to, I've sat down with Matt a couple of times and I always find that there's, he's just that person that you could talk to for half an hour, 45 minutes about player development or whatever it
0: is. Uh, always an interesting guy to
2: pick his mind.
0: Well, he was always even that guy. He was my teammate with Tampa and AAA, a and he was, uh, me and him would have, you know, back and forth conversation and dialogue about different things. And I mean, we would agree on some, we disagree on others. And it was sometimes there were, you know, tougher conversations, but he's a guy who is really, really good at, at kind of looking at the whole picture. And uh, and that's what you need is you can't be a one trick pony, especially in these, in this day and age. And he's a guy who has that analytical background, but he's also towed the rubber at the highest level. And, and his career was a crazy path because he was a guy that ultimately grinded in the minor leagues and got, a shot just at the end of his career so I, I think he he's a special person and a good a good you know piece to have in that coaching staff with the with the continued you know vision of moving forward and being a winning team
2: yeah the one thing that I missed was just and this is for you know season one listeners of digging in was we we're gonna do uh, career trivia with Matt Bushman I wanted to know how like just how in depth he knew his believe it was 4.1 innings in the major leagues uh four innings i want to know if he knew everyone he struck out all that stuff i thought it would be fun because i can imagine you know he he worked and he fought for that for so long and it must have been so rewarding to get there that those moments i imagine are just so crystallized in his mind it also wasn't that long ago to be fair not asking him to think back 20 years but if uh just the way like you said, his career arc was where he was a minor leaguer for so long, and then he finally, uh, he finally made it to the bigs.
0: Well, that's it. And listen, just so you, this is that's a perfect nugget. I think that would be a fun little segment for you to guys do one of those little videos and, and uh, sit down in the in the stands, and you and him have that conversation. And I think that he would have fun with it too because he is he is a good guy to talk to.
2: Yeah, I could go. We could go all the way like pitch by pitch. I could get some video up. Yeah, it'd be fun. Four innings with Matt Bushman. Uh, No one steal that idea out there. <laughs> so on the Blue Jays today, I wanted to talk a little bit about Josh Johnson's return. I know that it wasn't that explosive. He didn't do that much in the game. We had the video tribute. To me, it, it seemed kind of bog standard. They had the graphic of the rain coming down through all of it, which I understand, but I think it made it look a little bit cheesy. I don't know. Maybe I'm not the right audience for a tribute video like that someone who's more of a fan and is really has that emotion invested might have felt great about it i didn't love it but what i did think was interesting was some of the comments he made before the game and he really doubled down on his you know the basically saying the blue jays weren't able to keep me healthy like i came here to work with george Poulos, who i knew and, like, you know, now he's played 129, 130 of the whatever. He's missed a couple games again because he used to play 155 a year. like He was one of those absolute horse guys. And so you could take it either way. You could assume that he got older, and when you get older, you get injured for longer. That's the way it goes. Or you can make whatever judgments you want to make about the Blue Jays' current high-performance division. What are your recollections of George Poulos, JP because it seems like Josh believes there's some kind of magic there.
0: Um well honestly George Poulos is probably one of the nicest guys in in baseball he's he's obviously a person as well who has been piggybacked with Alex Anthopoulos I don't think that's I don't think that has you know any kind of question you know Alex goes to Atlanta George is in Atlanta so they work well together. You always need to have a trainer that you trust in, that's there, that's your eyes, that's your ears, but also somebody that you can go to for questions about possible, you know, long-term deals and stuff like that. So George is a, is is a bigger part than just being a trainer, and he's a big asset to Alex and So that's the first thing. But he's a great guy, and he's good, and he does and he does a good job. And also, not to get lost in this is there's a also, the assistant trainer, his name is Mike Frostad, who was the assistant trainer with him in Toronto as well. So, the both staffs that were in Toronto, George Polis, Mike Frostad, they are both now one and two with the Brave. So that that whole that package is a is a deal package, and I'm sure, you know, there was rules where he can get one guy over there, Antopolis, and then another one that they couldn't just cherry pick them, but they're both there now, and. You know, I think that Donaldson, that's a little bit of a shot at what the Blue Jays have going on there, obviously, as well. If you're saying I want it, they couldn't keep me healthy, I think that's kind of – maybe there were some things that went on that I that that maybe he tried to take a little bit of a jab without calling people's names out. But George is great, man, and he's good at what he does. And if a player trusts that somebody has their best, his best interest in mind and he's going to keep them healthy – that can make a big difference and it's been making one here obviously he's uh, you know he's back to himself
2: yeah I think one of the interesting things about it was how Donaldson made the point that he really liked that he felt like now things were tailored to him and that things pertained to him as an individual and that's where the criticism for me gets a little bit more granular it seems like his ideas that when he was with the Blue Jays in the post George Poulos era you know, he felt like everyone was kind of on the same thing and it didn't work for him and he would have preferred if there were something that was more his own. As a player, how individualized in your experience has your regimen been or has it been generally that this is what we do as a team and this is the overall policy?
0: Um, Listen, it happens, you know, even with Roy Holiday back in the days, and this is not training staff, this is just Scouting reports, a lot of them were tailored to Doc. You know, it was like, Hey, cut her cut her into this guy, cut her away, you know, sink her in and it's like a lot of guys were going, Hey man, I don't even have this pitch. Like but a lot of that a lot of that stuff was tailored to Roy Holiday. But sometimes when you're that kind of player, those are things that happen. And you know, I think there's obviously people that were together in the in the training room, and there's people that have been there have come because of certain reasons, or have been able to be a part of it because of certain reasons. And I'm sure that that person gave priority to other people as well. And so that happens. It, it, you know you, you just think about it. That's just the way it it all goes in this game. Is if somebody gets a job because of somebody else, they're obviously gonna they're gonna be more hands-on with that person. And and every player has certain people they go to. I've never been in a part of a clubhouse where it's tailored to just one person. Usually they're pretty good at making sure everybody has their own tailored program because you are in the big leagues. But obviously there's something that happened within that clubhouse that I'm not aware of because I wasn't there that that was preferential preference to certain guys. And they had their own program and, and other people just kind of had the fall suit.
2: Yeah, the Blue Jays, it's hard to say if right now they're any worse or better than any other teams in terms of training. Like you could say this team gets keeps X players healthy and why, but unless you had a way to go in a time machine and give every team the exact same players at the exact same ages, like there's no way to know who's really, really good at injury prevention, who's really, really good at injury Recovery. I know the White Sox back in the day had a really good reputation for keeping pitchers healthy, but I don't even think that really persists into today. So, the best we can do is actually is kind of hear these individualized stories, like from a guy like Donaldson, who felt like he had a better time with Pulus and Frostad than he did with the Blue Jays' quote-unquote high-performance department. But even that is one guy, and he said he said like like yesterday, he said I hope it works for other people. and I did take some things away from it. It just didn't work for me. And I think the Blue Jays just get a little bit of a spotlight because they they called it this high-performance department, and then they sort of implied that it would be this state-of-the-art machine, and it hasn't really yielded any, like, unbelievable results. And I'm not saying, like, maybe it did prevent, like, we never know what injuries it prevented because the injuries never happened, right? But... There haven't been years where the Blue Jays have had like no one injured or people have recovered super fast. So right now, I think that that's part of how people see the Blue Jays in their high-performance department right now is that it sounds like it's going to be the state-of-the-art thing. It was kind of pumped up, and there's not much evidence yet to suggest that it keeps guys healthier or returns them faster than any other system.
0: Yeah, you know, and I, I just think, yeah, there's two ways to look at it. You have to you tip your hat because I I do know being around that they have put a crap ton of money into this. So they're trying to be I guess new the the first ones to be able to push this high performance and see how big of a difference it can make. But you make those you make those decisions and sometimes you have something, and then all of a sudden, you you send the tra- you set a trend, or you're the you you guys are just you figure something out that no one else has, or it doesn't help, ha- it doesn't do anything, and then you just go back to the vanilla stuff, right? Think about I look at it as, you know, the pitching coach for the Mets. They, all of a sudden, they go back to a pitching coach who's in his, I mean, the guy's in his 80s, and he, and it's like they've been pitching well, right? And so whatever that they had with the other coach was a newer age message that possibly wasn't resonating. And you think about it, Charlie Emanuel now is a hitting coach, and they had mainly who was a hitting coach and did all this analytical stuff and all these analytical things from top to bottom throughout the minor leagues to the big leagues, and they think that they're advancing the game. All of a sudden, he's fired, and they have John Emanuel, who's the guy who's literally – his John Emanuel is going to be like, hey, man, I don't care about all that crap. You have to have the right approach. Forget all the analytics. You have to have the right approach. That's he's gonna go back. So it's the same thing for me. I look at it as this high performance. It's an amazing effort with a lot of money and a lot of things that have been put in place to see how it succeeds. But remember, Nick too, is like you said, in any experiment you have to have a control. And there is really no control because there's not this you can't I can't make Nick and JP and Dan and Zoobs. You can't make all of us the same person because we're not. So I might get more injured, and we might all be on the same program, but I may get more injured because of that's my body type or whatever. So I don't think that you can ever judge. I think that has to do with with scouting and looking into you know medical records and trying to figure it out because there's guys that I've played with that work as hard as anybody, but they're always hurt, and that's just their DNA. And there's guys that don't do crap and they're never hurt, right? So. I I don't know if I don't know if that if you'll ever be able to truly find out, but I just think at the end of the day there was something that whole message to me, is a shot, at somebody in that training room that, possibly didn't, worry about many others except for one person.
2: Yeah, I think it's an interesting little mini data point from Josh Johnson. Like you said, there's no control. There's no way to know. And the Blue Jays should be commended for investing in the health of their players. It's absolutely a smart thing to do just as a business thing and just, you know, as the right thing to do. So I'm not out here criticizing the high performance department or saying that it's trash or anything like that. It just, we haven't seen overwhelming results to suggest that it's been a huge difference maker yet. But we're only a few years in, maybe, maybe in 10 years, the Blue Jays will be legendary for keeping guys healthy. It's hard. It's really, really hard to say. We'll never know the answer to that. So let's wrap it up with something we can answer, which is today's would you rather. This one is, I would say more like goofy than truly unpleasant like we've had in the past. So would you rather always have to wear Crocs or always have to wear socks with sandals? presumably if you're like literally in the water swimming you can take these off but if you're anywhere else walking around you know n- if you're at a wedding if you're at a funeral if you're on television at the marlins broadcast whatever it is it's got to be crocs or it's got to be socks or sandals
0: do the crocs are, are you, no socks in the crocs
2: no socks in the crocs
0: i i would can i take off my socks and the sandals
2: no, because then it's just sandals.
0: Dang it! This sucks. Um, listen, I just I'm gonna throw it out there. I I, oh, I hate I hate socks and sandals. I really do. I think they're like the stupidest look possible. I I'm just not a big sock and sandals guy. Which I'm not a huge crock guy, but I'm less of a socks with sandals. I I've always thought that socks and sandals look super not good. They're like dumb. And it's so, a
2: baffling look, like it. You only, you almost never see it because yes, people know hey, that it's dumb.
0: Yeah, I just, I'm just not on, and I, and I, I, I'm one of those people that thinks like, hey, oh, that person's wearing socks with sandals. Oh, it sucks. So, I, I, I would have to say based on that, I would wear Crocs everywhere. I would, I would hope that, uh, on TV they would allow me to wear the Crocs, which maybe I can get like some dressy looking crocs that you wouldn't be able to tell but like I, painted crocs yeah i don't know i don't know but it, i would take i would take crocs over the sandals with socks i don't know about you
2: i think crocs are more comfortable so that's something that probably leans in their favor my first instinct is is to go with socks and sandals though and i i hate that look as much as you do i think it's a terrible look i don't think it's especially comfortable you and i have different climates to worry about So I'm concerned about wearing Crocs out in the winter and it being freezing cold and the air coming in through those holes. And I would be able to have some woolly socks. So that's a big factor for me that you maybe don't have to worry about. And then I also think you could sell socks or sandals as sort of a rebellious fashion stance, if that makes sense. Like you're like, oh, everyone else thinks that socks and sandals are 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 dumb, but like I'm going against the grain. Whereas I feel like with Crocs, it's pretty hard to sell it. Even no matter how much swagger you have, like I just don't think the Crocs will work. Whereas sometimes you see guys who have a lot of fashion or, you know, Mm -hmm. frankly, if they're just like really rich or famous wearing outfits that are stupid, like that objectively stupid, like Russell Westbrook will wear sometimes stuff that's just stupid but people like it cuz it's like he's Russell Westbrook and he's got the swag he's, i think he's you
0: could, setting a trend he's so confident that he can wear that so exactly I that so i stupid. think
2: you can bring that to socks and sandals like I don't give a shit. Like you're sending a message of I don't give a shit what anyone thinks. Like I'm rocking these socks and sandals. It's gonna be hard. I'm not gonna say that I have the ability to pull it off. I'm not you sure to, to say you have the ability to pull it off.
0: I don't know. You have to be very comfortable with yourself. I I would I would be honest and say I'd wear them and I'd be like, man, people are probably just thinking this freaking dork. I don't have the confidence in the sense of that. Like with stuff like that, that I can just pull. Like I would never be able to wear short shorts a button down, a sports coat, and dress shoes like Westbrook walk into a game and be like, dang, I look freaking good. I would look in the mirror and go, what the hell are you doing, dude? So with kudos to those people that can do it, I'm just not one of them.
2: I don't know if I'm one of them, but I am pretty apathetic to how other people feel about me at times, and I think that's the shot I would try and take. Out of a really bad scenario, I think I would try and Westbrook my way through the socks and sandals (laughs) look.
0: Well, I, I think that uh, I'm not going to say that I I feel like you, that you don't care what people think because I can I've given you crap about your hair, your beard, and chest hair, and you could and I you, I think you're very comfortable in your own skin and you're you're okay with it. So I think that you'd be able to pull it off better than I would. That's for sure.
2: All right, so that's that's the move for me. Uh, JP's going to get the dress Crocs for television. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there. We appreciate you guys listening, subscribing, leaving reviews wherever you're doing it, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. We hope you guys will tune in next week.